0: Phil, you don't mind if I teach lessons? Please. You'd do me a great favor if you would. I want to bring this to your attention. Especially you young people who don't get senior lifestyles. (laughs) (laughs) Which means there are about two of you in this (laughs) group. Wonderful article on our Joe with his picture. So, also, he's gonna kill me if Phil doesn't, but Joe has shingles, and can you believe this baby's here today? I would be so in bed. And I'm just, you just amazing, my dick. Wait a minute. I still got something to so. Why are we not surprised? You shouldn't be. If you are surprised, you're very unaware. I have told you before, and I'm going to keep telling you that when i read something that is very important to me because i love y'all i like to share it with you and you may not like it but i do (laughs) lou had this book in his bookcase zig ziglar i'd heard the name i couldn't have cared less who said that thank you very much Harlan and it's staying up 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 in a down down world
1: daily hope
0: for the daily grind and i don't know why i even picked it up except the title of was amusing to me and i've really gotten where i read a little chapter every night it's very short they're very short and i love this so i'm gonna read it to you it's about 20 pages (laughs) Uh, No, think about this, and especially if you went to the journey this morning, you will relate to it too. Many years ago, William Penn said, I expect to pass through life but once. If therefore there be any kindness I can show, or any good thing I can do to any fellow being, let me do it now. And not defer or neglect it as I shall not pass this way again which I'm sure many of y'all have already heard that Henry Ward Beecher put it this way though the world needs reproof and correction it needs kindness more though it needs the grasp of the strong hand It needs to the open palm of love and tenderness and I just love that then this morning in the journey I don't know whether this will be in the sanctuary program or not but again I was struck by this quote give us a pure heart that we may see you a humble heart that we may hear you, a heart of love, that we may serve you, and a heart of faith, that we may live in your will each day. And that's adapted from the writings of Dag, is it Hamishold? So again, y'all have probably heard that, but I wanted to remind you. So now, if you will bow your heads in prayer. Dear Lord, help us to take these words and apply them to our lives. And help us remember how simple it is to be kind. It just really takes two words. Be loving, be kind, compassionate. To me, they all seem the same thing. So open our hearts. Help us to love one another and recognize that every human being on this earth no matter what we may think about that person each one is a child of God we ask these things in your son's name Jesus Christ amen Amen. now I'm also not through yet because again, some of y'all get the paper. A lot of people don't get it anymore. They rely on bigger technology. So to me, Phil, this was a real God thing. At 80 years of age, I had never, and I'm a college graduate, got halfway through my master's and said (laughs) 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 But, I had never heard, I stole your thunder, baby. <laughs> I had never heard the phrase food desert until Phil mentioned it. I just never had. Now, maybe everybody else had, but I haven't. And what do you know but on Thursday's paper, front page, food desert. So, I beat you to the punch, but I'll. What's new? (laughs) But I'll leave it to you to tell us more. Well, thanks. (laughs) Unless you want me to keep talking. No, (laughs) no.
2: Thank you for leaving me one thing to say. Hands up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, good morning. Good morning. good morning. good morning. It's good to be with you. I was trying this morning to decide whether to acknowledge that it's football season or not.
1: <laughs>
2: I know you all have different loyalties and
1: uh,
2: I wore my Slightly orange-ish shirt last week, just to be in solidarity with those of you who were, who were hoping for the new era of UT football. Um, looks like it's going to be a lot like the old, the old <laughs> recent past. Um, that's the bad news. The good news is you get to play ETSU next week. <laughs> we'll on one this week.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
2: So. <laughs> so yeah. So. Uh, There you go. So yeah, we're talking about the social principles, and in case I forget, I mean, we're going to be, we've been in this sort of first part on the natural world, and we've hardly exhausted that, but we are going to move on uh, to the next section uh, in the coming weeks. So if you want to start reading it, uh, the next section is a little longer, Um, so uh, section two which um, is called The Nurturing Community, that belongs on page 26. Um, there's a lot in that section. Uh, this section was about two and a half pages. The next one's about eight or nine. So I can't say we'll spend a proportional amount of time on it, because that would be like two months. Um, we won't do that. But just, for those of you who keep asking, like, what am I supposed to read? Because you're conscientious. Um, there you go. So That's what we'll be heading uh, in the coming weeks. And as, as Linda helpfully mentioned, uh, yeah, I, I was equally surprised uh, to see the food desert uh, story on the front page of Thursday's paper after we mentioned it. And I think you, you weren't the only one. I think when I asked people how many had heard of it, I think there were four, if I recall. So you were in good company by not having heard of it. Um, yeah, it's not a common common term. It's become, we've become more aware of it uh, in the last uh, decade or so um, as we try to think about what the social principles call uh, food justice. Um, remember last week we said that two of the, the primary uh, values at the heart of the social principles are justice and sustainability. And uh, this was an issue of of justice. So I thought we would just start there, since it was in the paper. And then we'll uh, continue on with a couple other issues for today that come up in this section um, that are related. Um, because to remind ourselves, all of the, re- the reasons that United Methodists care about this, and presumably the reason Christians ought to care about this, um, is because we're called to love God and love our neighbor. Again, if you were in the the journey service today, we were reminded that that's, I mean, you shouldn't need the journey service to remind you, like, this is what, if you had to sum up, I mean, Jesus was asked, like, what's the most important command? And so he summarized the law in what we call the double love command, right? Love God, love people, love God, love your neighbor, and your neighbor, as we've suggested, you know, in that little sheet that we handed out, those seven questions, like, who is my neighbor? Um... Certainly, I'm called to love my actual next-door neighbors, right? Um, I hope you know who your next-door neighbors are. Um, That would be good. As you know, it's becoming less and less a thing that people don't even know who their neighbors are. Um, But I hope you know your neighbors. But, of course, it's not just that, right? Um, We certainly have a special obligation to people who live near us, um, but who is your neighbor? Is is a bigger question, right? It includes other people in our in our city, uh, other people in our state, in our country, other people around the world, other people across time. <laughs> might include neighbor. Might include other living beings that aren't human. Are they our neighbors? Right. Um, So, the question is, how expansive are we willing to think about Neighbor? Yeah, so the food desert story, if you don't get the paper and you didn't see it, was about, this was on Thursday morning, it was about uh, the closing of the Save-A-Lot there on Rome Street, um, just north of downtown. They closed on Wednesday without announcing it imagine if your grocery store was going to close and they didn't tell you um, somebody had gotten word that this might be the case and they checked on it and it turned out it was true that they were closing Wednesday at the end of the day but they hadn't told anybody they would um, and again you can I don't think you have to be a cynic you can get away with that You know, if you're sure that the people who you serve don't have a voice to complain about it right That would never have happened at my grocery, my Kroger on Roan Street, right? They would one, they wouldn't have closed it, and two, they would not have closed it without telling us, right? Because us have some power, right? Um, And so, so it creates a food desert, right? That was the grocery store that a lot of people walk to, right? Who don't have. Uh, transportation. And I was thinking about the other grocery stores that have closed over the over the years, right? Uh, there used to be, I think it was a, a food line on the East Market there. Right, right across from the Iris Glen Environmental Center. Right, better known as the Seven County Dump. Right. That's no longer there. They're also used to Kroger used to be on South Rhone Street, right? You begin to see a pattern. Like, why do grocery stores close? What cause they're under quote underserved people, right? Um, and there's an economic reason for. It. I don't want to ignore that, right? There's certainly an economic reason. Um, but that doesn't <laughs> that there's an economic reason for closing it doesn't make it any less a hardship for the people who depend upon it. And so, when we, when we look at statistics that talk about the, um, the increased health risk of people who live in poverty, it's partly because they don't eat as well as I do, one, for economic reasons, and partly it's just access, right? I mean, I can afford to eat better, and also I have easy access to good food. And so these are our neighbors. And so what do you do? Um, I was going to tell you a story last week, but it works even better this week. Um, because there there are people who who live in these neighborhoods who, who, who are themselves trying to figure out, what do we do when we live in a food desert? And there's a man named Ron Findlay um, Who's gotten the nickname of uh, being the, the gangster gardener of L.A.
1: Uh,
2: African American man, and you can go on and I thought about showing you his his YouTube. He's got a, a TED Talk, a YouTube um, online, but I thought it's probably a little rough for this crowd, so I thought probably better not. And get I, I can get in trouble without Ron's help, so I thought I just would uh, I just summarize uh, the kind of interesting story. Um, he said he just got tired of living, he lived in uh, South Central LA, and, um, which is a food desert. And he said he got tired of driving 45 minutes to get a healthy piece of fruit, um, and his neighbors. He said he got tired of seeing his neighbors, he said, you know, we don't have grocery stores but we have dialysis clinics popping up everywhere. And he said, we sell motorized um, wheelchairs, like used cars, in this neighborhood. Um, And um, diabetes is about five times the average in my neighborhood. So I just got tired of that. And I thought, what could I do? And so he realized that outside of his... Uh, house, there's this strip of land between the sidewalk and the street that actually belongs to the city, but he's responsible for maintaining it, right? That's the way it works in a lot of cities, right? It belongs to the city, that easement, but you're charged with maintaining it, and often it's just pitiful scruff of grass and weeds and a lot of trash. And he thought, well, it's about 10 feet by 150 feet in front of, on my street. I'm going to put in a garden. And so he did. And then someone complained. It's hard to imagine why someone could complain about that. Um, but someone did. And the city gave him a citation. If you can believe that. Uh, And then the citation turned into a warrant. And so he called the newspaper and he tried to use what power he had, which was precious Little. Um, But finally the councilman came out and they commended him for doing it. Um, It's like, why would you complain? Because he was growing food. He put in fruit trees. He put in vegetable gardens. It was beautiful. Right. They tried to encourage other people to do it, too. And, and people were, were free to come and get food. He said one night about 10.30, he heard somebody out on the street, he went out and there was a, like a mother and child, and they seemed kind of embarrassed. And he felt embarrassed for them. He said, look, you don't have to do this. Um, they said, we're sorry. He said, don't be sorry. I mean, that's why it's on the street. It's, it's, it's free. <laughs> But he he felt bad that people were so desperate that they felt like they had to go out in the middle of the night to get food because they they were humiliated. Um, But he said like, why did, he said the city of Los Angeles had 25 square miles of vacant lots. 25 square miles. He said he did the calculation. He said, that's like, 20 central parks you know, I mean he said you could grow you could grow 725 million tomato plants
1: mm.
2: on that land just sits there vacant right that's um, so his neighborhood he started he started doing it. They've, they've built a number of these gardens and he has all kinds of plans he says I'd, like I'd like to take uh, sort of old uh, cargo containers uh, in my neighborhood and make them into little local eateries that sold healthy food and make some of them little farmers markets where you could get like fresh vegetables, right? And, and put people t- to work, right? And so part of it's just the education. He's got a kind of motto that says if kids grow kale, kids eat kale. They grow tomatoes, they eat tomatoes. But a lot of them never, they don't know where their food comes from. They, a lot of our children don't know where food comes from. They think it comes from Kroger.
1: <laughs>
2: well, Kroger's just the middleman. <laughs> right? But they don't really know where it comes from. And so part of it's a whole education process of trying to help people eat healthier when it feels like if you just sit back and wait for the grocery store to come to your neighborhood, you're going to be waiting for a very, very long time. So I don't know what we can do in this community, but I've been thinking this week, like, I wonder, where are the creative people in Johnson City? We're already doing some good things. I'll be clear about that. I'm really glad we got a farmers market here in town that at least for several months out of the year sells healthy food. And it and, and works pretty hard to make it accessible to people without a lot of income, right? Um, so I'm really, really thankful for that. That's, that's a good thing to be doing. Um, I don't know if there's more we could be doing to deal with these food deserts in our own town. Right? You don't have to go to LA to find a food desert, you know, front page says we got them here. Um, I don't know, but uh, I don't have to figure that out. Uh, that's way above my pay grade. Um, but there's a lot of creative people here, uh, a lot of energy here. Uh, maybe some of you're looking for something to do uh, in your uh, twilight years, as they're affectionately called. Um, and again, a lot of you are already doing really good things in the community, so I don't want to make it sound like you're not. But but here's an, here's one of these issues about loving your neighbor, where we said, part of this is about making connections. What's it mean to love your neighbor? Uh, can I love my neighbor if I don't care whether or not they have clean water to drink, clean air to breathe, and healthy food to eat? I mean, isn't that, wouldn't that be part of what it means to love my neighbor in a real concrete way? And just sort of abstractly, like I love people. And no, they like, what's it really mean when my neighbor has real needs? And what can we do about that? I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't have to. But I, I wonder if there might be something we could do. I don't know. But it seems like we're, it's a question worth asking uh, very concretely since we, we talked about this last week and now we've been made aware um, that some people in our community are going to find it even more difficult to find healthy food to eat than it was a week ago. So, so that's sort of a a PSA coda from from last week on food justice.
0: Yeah. Yes, I noticed. Uh, Post Methodist Church, I think, is doing something on vacant lot up there who have been hosting conference. They've got to sign up and they've planted, looks like blueberry bushes or something, of fruit trees. And I don't know what all that's for, but I assume it's kind of the community there.
2: Yeah, and it's been interesting. Uh, the, the point was that uh, the Methodist Church in downtown, the yeah, the Methodist Church, that shall not be named. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, has a vacant lot. And, and this, is, this is one interesting thing that has happened in the last uh, 10 or 20 years is a number of congregations including a number of United Methodist congregations have started community gardens on their land. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a beautiful thing. I know one in North Carolina uh, where it's been a real, it's a huge garden. I've, I've visited it. Uh, it's a huge garden. And it, it's for the community to come together and work in the garden. And so there's that kind of relational aspect uh, that people, because do, you don't have to be part of the church to come work in the community garden. And you don't have to be part of the church to, to receive some of the produce from the garden. And so uh, it's been an interesting way to interact with the community. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, for years, yeah. I feel there's been one at Carver. It's been there for years. Yeah people use that on a regular basis, I, have, I see it. Yeah, when they redid, redid Carver
2: Park, they made space there for community gardens. And part of that, I think, was you could sort of uh, carve out a piece you make for, your own plot. you can make your own plot, yeah. Um, so that so gave people who didn't have, like, I mean, most poor people don't own their own land. Surprise, surprise, right? And so they don't necessarily have a plot um, so, so yeah, I mean, there, there are places, there are places. And, and that's a good thing, right? That's something we can celebrate for sure. Um, but more and more churches have, have, have decided that maybe part of their presence in a community would be to have a community garden. right? Um, and so again, more and more that's happening, and a lot of the United Methodist churches are, are doing that. So, the two things I wanted us to focus on today, um, the two paragraphs from the social principles, um, (coughs) come from, uh, if you're on page 24, uh, actually 23 and 24, let's do B and D, we'll do the the easy ones. B is about energy resources utilization. Just read that first paragraph, first part of that paragraph. It says, the whole earth is God's good creation and as such has inherent value. We are aware that the current utilization of energy resources threatens this creation at its very foundation. As members of the United Methodist Church, we're committed to approaching creation, energy production, and especially creation's resources in a responsible, careful, and economic way. We call upon all to take measures to save energy. Everybody should adapt his or her lifestyle to the average consumption of energy that respects the limits of planet Earth." So just this notion of conserving energy, which I mentioned last week, you know, we talked about water last week, conserving water. Um, as, uh, partly because, I mean, there is only so much water, right, and we use it for lots of different things. Um, Huge amount of our water goes to creating energy, which makes it connected to this. Um, Huge amount of our water use in the United States um, goes to making energy, you know, if you knew that or not, Uh, I'm not just talking about hydroelectric, but every uh, kind of energy process takes enormous amounts of water, Um, and so trying to think about conserving energy. And it's interesting, one of the things I appreciate about the social principles and the resolutions is almost one of the first resolutions that happens in any section, uh, focuses on what the United Methodist Church itself is doing, Right, that we, we should bear witness ourselves Right, So it calls on all United Methodist uh, congregations uh, to do energy audits of their buildings right, and, and, to, and to think about how the energy use, uh, again, not just simply an issue of saving money, although there is the issue of stewardship of funds, but also just it's easy. I mean, it's easy if you think, um, as I was saying yesterday, if, if I have the money... To pay my electric bill and I'm not worried about, you know, I could turn off lights but I'm gonna save like three bucks at best, right, over the course of a month. If I cut down, Like, why do I care? Well, partly we care because we're a little, we ought to be a little bit anxious about uh, a way of life that sort of is indifferent to walking through the world, unaware of the footprint that my existence makes on the world. right? I, I should be at least aware um, aware of that. And So I'm just trying to think about um, what it means. And I give credit to the united uh, United Methodist women on this when it comes to, uh, they've, they've been a kind of, of leader as they have been, in so much of United Methodist circles. Um, they are a shrinking lot. Um, that's the topic for another day. It's just they're shrinking at a much, much faster race than the United Methodist Church is. I think just being part of the United Methodist women. I mean, this is a, a, a cultural issue, right, as an aside. People are just hard and finding harder. I mean, I heard uh, an article this week, or an article this week about the shrinking numbers in, say, the American Legion, right? Uh, just because people aren't joining those kind of groups, and they aren't, they aren't joining the United Methodist Women either. <laughs> uh, but the sad part about that is th- these women have been leaders, and so. Um, they have, they have 13 written principles of sustainability that they're called to pay attention to when they have a meeting, whether it's a national meeting or a local meeting. It's kind of interesting. Um, so they, they try to pick venues. Uh, if, you're, if you're picking a venue for, for a conference in United Methodist, the women are. They're supposed to pick cities and parts of cities where uh, it would be Close to uh, public transportation so people could get there easily uh, they use build, are called to use buildings that uh, as much as possible are energy efficient that they, they think about how their food is served they, they, they ask the people who are running the venue whether they can uh, change the temperature settings and make them maybe uh, in, in the summer, maybe turn the air conditioning back two or three degrees, or in the winter, turn it the other way two or three degrees. right? Just to be mindful right? that it doesn't do any good to have all these you know, resolutions and everything about what everyone else should do about energy, but when you gather together as a church or as United Methodist Women, you just go on business as usual. So I, I give them credit that they've actually been very, very thoughtful about that. Um, and so I'm grateful that the United Methodists are just pointing at other people, that they ought to do something about this. Almost every resolution begins with: what are the United Methodists doing in their own lives, in our own congregations, about, about energy? Right? Um, and again, i <laughs> I'll be the first one to confess. I, I'm sure there have been conversations. I feel quite confident there have been conversations about this at Muncie. I don't know what they have been. Maybe some of you do. Uh, but I hope that we have at least looked at energy utilization here. Lorraine? The
0: Church and Society Committee did have uh, uh, somebody come in and take an audit of how we were using our electricity <coughs> and what we could do to to make up life. So
2: Yeah. That's
0: been
2: a few years. So. Yeah, so Lorraine reminded us that the church Inside committee, which we can be thankful we have that because they're one of the ones that keep these social principles at least in play, sometimes behind the scenes, right? But at least they're aware that they're there and we can be grateful for that. But she says that there was an energy audit of Muncie several years ago where we were trying to figure out how we could do better. It's a huge building, mm-hmm. right? Uh, as you know, I mean, you can get lost in here, and people won't find you for weeks. Um, and uh, yeah, and so yeah, and a lot of the building was built before anybody worried about energy conservation, right? And so it's a it's a challenging building. Uh, it's I mean, we want the building used all through the week, right? Uh, that that raises challenges for all kinds of things, and so. Um, so it's so trying to think about energy utilization. Uh, again, without, I mean, no one thinks you know, that if we cut down, you know, if we uh, changed, you know, used different kind of lighting or cut down on air conditioning or heat in the winter, if we, if we were a little bit more efficient with that, that somehow doing that would save the planet. Okay, that's that's not. um, But on the other hand, it's easy to think that because no one thing that I do is going to save the planet, then it doesn't matter at all. Because that kind of attitude is what has got us to where we are. Um, Because no... uh, I think it's uh, Voltaire... Who has the famous uh, line that says, "No, no snowflake thinks it's responsible for an avalanche." Oh. Okay, no snowflake feels responsible for an avalanche, and that's sort of where we are. We think nothing that I do really matters, but cumulatively it does matter. But I, but so much of my life. Um, May I give you the example? I mean, I teach. I'm back to teaching. I teach. Uh, we start class this week. And, uh, you know, occasionally a student will leave their stuff, meaning their refuse. <laughs> their empty plastic bottles, their empty aluminum cans. I guess they think their mother's going to come clean up after them. <laughs> um, and I get annoyed. And I have, I have a trash can, one of those magic bins uh, in my uh, room that I teach in, and it is magic, right? I mean, anything you put in there just disappears and you never have to deal with it again. I mean, it's as close to magic as there is in American culture, right? Uh, but you know it's not magic. It goes somewhere, and I just told you where it goes. It goes to the seven-county landfill, right? Right? Um, on my best days, I try, to, I, I try to take the extra steps and take their stuff with me back to my office where there's recycle bins, right? Um, a little annoyed by having to do that. Um, but the point is, the, the reason I find that annoying is because American culture has taught me that I should not be inconvenienced, right? Um, if you want to talk about, and here we're getting personal, um, if you want to talk about the idols of our days, what the gods of our days, you know, we don't bow down to, to Mars or, you know, other gods like the Romans did. We bow down to, like, the god of convenience, no. right? It's one of the most powerful gods in our day, it's one of the most idolatrous I mean, think about how many things are pitched to us because they're convenient. And so I've been wondering, um, again, and I say this with trepidation, oh, I'm just trying to think, all right? Um, I know each week we, we get people to bring coffee up here and water for us, and uh, Casey does that for us. Not anymore, Casey's not doing it for us anymore?
1: Yeah.
2: We're not doing it anymore. Uh, we just stopped doing it.
1: Downstairs.
2: Gotta get it downstairs. Well, good. Um, First part. That's progress. <laughs> but I still wonder, and again, I'm gonna get in trouble here. Um, but I said I would, and I, I probably have already, but no one's told me. Um, Is it, is it unthinkable, even though it would be inconvenient, if downstairs they would use, I think we really have real coffee cups down there, right? We don't have any, we never, I think we have real cups, co- we probably have them by the hundreds. Yeah, they're in the cupboard that haven't been used for decades. <laughs> Used on Wednesday, yeah, good.
1: <laughs> but they have to be washed.
2: They have to be washed. And who would do that?
1: It, takes water. it does take water and electricity.
2: and electricity. But styrofoam lasts for thousands of years. Thousands of years.
1: But we have a bio-degradable,
2: bio-degradable. <laughs> I see styrofoam around.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. It's just a question. See, you get in all kinds of trouble.
1: Are you willing to wash this stuff?
2: Yeah, the question is who's willing to do it? And that's what I'm asking. The
1: Methodist women. Yeah? I don't think you
2: should do Methodist women. Maybe the Methodist men ought to do something finally.
1: Right? They washed the dishes Wednesday night were finished
2: eating, yeah. but no cups. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just raising the question. Okay. I mean, I'm not willing or asking anyone to die on this hill. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would be, I would be absolutely happy if someone had actually thought of it and said, at the end of the day, not this is the most convenient thing, but this is the most energy efficient thing. But my hunch is we may not have done that. If we have, great. I'll just be quiet.
0: Well, we talked about it at the church and society meeting. And Bless you. With some, with some study from somebody
1: even yeah. smarter than here at the church. And it was a pretty even,
2: even thing.
0: By the time you figured the hot water. Well,
2: hot water in the, and
0: the...
2: Pretty close. As long as you're using paper. Right. paper cups good good well thank God for the church and society committee if you're looking for some place to plug in I'm sure Lorraine could use more help on that committee last thing because we're running out of time see i got through one thing we're gonna do two
1: I'll
2: we'll get one thing in one point a week um and maybe we'll have to do this next time uh, you know, we, we, we come back to the principles, is this, this uncomfortable discussion about uh, what do we do with uh, what's called climate change? How do we think about that? And what does that mean for us? And, and here, here's what I want you to think about, um, and, and, and we will talk about it next time, we have to, because we can't stick our heads in the sand. And just so you know that you can't stick your head in the sand, here here are some people who are not left-leaning climate wackos who think you can't stick your head in the sand. The Department of Defense. 1,700 of 3,500 U.S. military installations around the world are threatened by global climate change. They are doing something about it. Right? Right? Even the president's defense bill from last fall orders them to figure out the 15 installations that are most threatened and to figure out what to do about them immediately. Okay? So they can't afford to stick their hands in the, and say it's just silliness. Fortune 500 companies, if you look at them, they are doing something about this because they know it threatens their portfolios and their own businesses around the world. So they also cannot ignore it. So, I mean, these are people who, again, you wouldn't think, but they are. They are absolutely paying attention. Um, The city of Miami is doing something about it. Um, Because on the list of the top 20 cities in the world, Threatened by climate change, they are one of the most vulnerable in the world. Most most scientists think Miami won't be there a hundred years from now. Okay, and so they're doing something about it. They know it might be too late, but they're not just because it might be too late. And you're not going to do something, <laughs> right? And they're doing everything they can, or at least a lot of what they can, even though it's not convenient. Right, because, so again, quite apart from, we could have arguments from now until all of us are long gone about what percentage of global climate change is human induced. I understand that. But the point is, no one denies that it's happening. And so, I think everyone agrees, even, even the scientists agree that the Earth is warming, you'd have to be sticky, I mean, it, it is warming, and, and the climate is changing, and we're gonna have more horrible weather events coming. And as, if I had time, what well, we'll start with next time is, not surprisingly, just like the food issue, everyone agrees that the worst effects of a changing climate will fall on the most vulnerable in our country and around the world. So the question is, what will we do about that? Even if you can't stop it, the question is, how will we respond to our neighbors who are most vulnerable? Just like we're trying to think about how to respond to our neighbors who are most vulnerable to not having good food, how will we respond to our neighbors who are most at risk for whatever's coming down the road as a result of a changing climate, regardless of who's responsible, it doesn't really matter. It's not, it's not going to matter much to your neighbor about having the argument about. I mean, they're feeling it, and people around the world are feeling it. And now, the top twenty cities in the world that are threatened—I think it's seventeen of them—are in very poor places. Okay. So, stay tuned. It's hard to talk about, but I I don't want to talk about, you know, who's responsible as much. I want to talk about how are we going to respond to what's actually here right now, that everyone pretty much thinks is going to get worse. And um, so, how do how do we how do we deal with our neighbor? How do we love our neighbor in the midst of that? Let's pray. Father, you have called us to love you and love our neighbor and often we feel overwhelmed uh, by the responsibility to care for your earth that you've made, that you love, and to care for our neighbors near and far, present and future. We pray for wisdom, we pray for imagination, Uh, we pray for the courage uh, to act in ways that you might bless so that we as your people might bear witness to your love for the world. We pray this through Christ.